After Peter healed a disabled man at the gate called Beautiful, crowds of people swelled around the apostles as though they were superheroes of the supernatural. They could have taken full advantage of the situation, drawing attention to themselves, but Peter chose to deflect the applause away from John and he. Don't look at us, look to Jesus, Peter said in so many words. We are not cape crusaders of the cross of Christ. We are merely servants of the living God. It takes an inner core of strong character to resist a crowd that wants to exalt you. But Peter reveals his true north when he gives Jesus Messiah the proper credit for healing the man. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. How can you know that Jesus is who he claims to be? Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. I'm Brian Davis, always glad to have you with us. There is an answer to that question, and Ron shares it with you today as he continues his series, AD, Acts of the Apostles. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Acts chapter 3, here's Ron with part 2 of his Something Good radio message, The Beautiful Miracle. The primary ministry of the church is spiritual, not physical. Some churches, some ministry have devolved into what we might call the, the social gospel. The social gospel is an attempt to apply Christian ethics to social issues of poverty and crime and you know, poor nutrition and education, maybe even war and so forth, while downplaying the doctrines of salvation, heaven and hell, and the future kingdom of God. Hear me when I say this, and please don't misunderstand me, but a soup kitchen will never save a soul unless you use that soup kitchen to also feed them the bread of life, to introduce them to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've served at a lot of soup kitchens, but I'm not interested in serving at one that doesn't also introduce them to Christ. Jesus fed the 5,000, but it was a setup to the teaching that followed where he proclaimed, I am the bread of life. I, I'm the solution to your real problem. You had hungry bellies yesterday, but no, your real problem is you need to feed on me. Eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says. Uh, the most satisfying thing in life is not what feeds the flesh, but what feeds the spirit. And we need to remember that. Uh, this is a, a stark reminder that the social gospel is not enough. And our primary purpose in ministry is, is to point people to their eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Now, all of this led to a sermon. Keep in mind that now all the heads are turning and all the attention now is turning beyond this man to Peter and John. And the crowds are beginning to swell around Peter and John and they're thinking, wow, these guys are all that. And Peter and John 
begin to resist the, um, the applause of the crowd and, and the allure of the crowd. Let's pick it up in verse 11, where it says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though our as, as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Now, I, I love what Peter is doing here because he's deflecting the adoration of the crowd. And he kind of reminds me a little bit of John the Baptist. Remember when John the Baptist came along, uh, the crowds were pressing him and saying, John, are you the one we're supposed to be looking for? Are you the long-awaited Christ? John, you're looking a lot like the Messiah these days. And John could have gone home and looked into the mirror and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking a little Messiah-like. Maybe I ought to run with this a little bit and see where it takes me. But he doesn't do that. John says, I'm not the one. And he compares himself to the, to the friend of the bridegroom. He says, I, 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 I'm not center stage. I'm not the one in the spotlight here. And he says of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Now, it takes a, a strong core constitution of character to resist the allure of the crowd who want to give you the glory and say, you're the man or you're the woman, and to say, no, it's all about Christ. And Peter does this. <clears throat> it goes on to say in verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Now we're, we're fully into the word and the message. We've gone from the sign to the sermon. Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses, he says. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. <clears throat> I mean, if, if, if Peter had read, you know, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, you know, he didn't learn much from it. Because while he had the, the, the adoring attention of the crowd, he, he kind of pokes him in the eye and pokes him in the chest a few, few times. And he says, you know, you, you denied the servant. You delivered the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. And it brings me to the first lesson from this message, this sermon that he delivers, and that is that there's power in the name of Jesus. He, he attributes three names, three messianic names from the Old Testament, servant, holy and righteous one, and the author of life. You can go into the Old Testament, and, and in the Messianic passages, these three names are attributed to the Messiah. He says that was Jesus. He pokes him in the eye, kind of kicks him in the chest a little bit, and says, you killed him. You killed him. And then he, he wraps all of that up in uh, verse 16, and he says, no, this guy who was healed, you know, was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in the powerful name of Jesus Christ? Do you believe there's power in the name of Jesus? I certainly hope you do. I always go back 
I went back this week and thought a little bit about the name of Jesus. Remember at Bethlehem, the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, you shall name him Jesus. The name was given to him, the name of Jesus. Later at the um, commissioning of the disciples, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The name of Jesus has all authority and is powerful. And then in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's power, uh, saving power in the name of Jesus. And then Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and following, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, listen to this, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a powerful name. Every, every knee will bow. Everything that can be named must bow to the name of Jesus Christ one day. And there's power in the name of Jesus Christ to, to break every chain, to move every mountain, to heal every disease, and to rescue every lost sinner. Let's never forget that, friends. And the power in our ministry is to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and to point people to him. There's power in the name of Jesus. Secondly, Peter goes on to say there's proof in the facts of history. In all of this, he, he talks about the messianic promises. He talks about the powerful name of Jesus. He says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. You know, the early apostles uh, never strayed far from the resurrection of Jesus Christ or to reminding people that they were witnesses of the event. He says, God raised him from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. There's proof in the facts of history. Uh, the most credible defense for any you know, witness in the first century in a court of law, and it's true in our courts today, is an eyewitness. If you don't have an eyewitness to what happened, what you have is circumstantial evidence. And the facts of the gospel and the credibility of Christianity is not based on circumstantial evidence. It's based on eyewitness accounts. I saw him with my own eyes, the early apostle says, and they wrote it down, and we have the accounts. Why do critics attack the Bible and say it's unreliable because, well, they, they want to... They criticize and attack the eyewitness accounts. But, but the New Testament story and the Bible itself is, is highly credible because he says uh, we, are, we are witnesses of this. All of that to say uh, you won't find uh, fairy dust and unicorns and fairy godmothers in the Bible. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, in the past year, we've seen God use Something Good Radio like never before. Friends like you have played a key role in that, 
as your prayers and financial support keep Ron on the air the whole year through. When you give a gift this month, we want to say thank you with a special gift of our own, the complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. That's A.D. Acts of the Apostles, a 19-message series from Dr. Ron Jones. And for a limited time, our gift to you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now, let's join Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Beautiful Miracle. I was watching a news uh, organization this past week, and the story was about how there's a group of people out there, if you can imagine this, who are now offended by some of the fairy tales that we've grown up with, like Little Red Riding Hood. You know, you got to be kidding me. Get over yourself if you're offended by Little Red Riding Hood. But the lady who was defending the fairy tales we grew up with, she says, yeah, and it's just like some of the stories in the Bible. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. Do not compare Little Red Riding Hood to the Bible. There's no fairy godmother. There are no fairy dust. There are no unicorns in the Bible. The Bible is based on credible witnesses. The stories you read in the Bible are made up of real people who lived in real places at real time in real history. This is what gives it credibility. But the critics, the critics want to say, no, it's all fairy tales. It's fantasy. They're fables. No, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's proof in the facts of history and in the facts of the gospel. And then Peter goes on to say there's more proof in fulfilled prophecy. He goes on in verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. What's he talking about? He's talking about all the prophets in the Old Testament who spoke about the coming of Messiah. And those prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke about the mouth, spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Wow, what a, what a sweeping journey through the plan and program of God uh, from the Old Testament messianic prophecies to what he calls the times of refreshing, the times of the apostolic era and even the church age in which we are in, up until the time when Jesus will come again. I mean, Peter covers all of it. This is some deep theology here. And he says over and over again, according to the mouths of prophets that predicted all of this. By the way, why is 25% of the Bible when it was written predictive and prophetic in nature? Well, in part because it's one of the ways God adds credibility to his word. He is, a, he is a predictor of the future, and he holds himself to a standard that says it needs to be 100% correct 100% of the time, or it's a false prophet and a false prediction. 
But we can have confidence in the gospel, not only because there's power in the name of Jesus and, and there's proof in the facts of history, there's more proof in fulfilled prophecy. Peter goes on, and I don't have time to read it all, but he mentions Moses, he mentions Samuel, all of it in the Old Testament. He's speaking to the men of Israel who knew the Scriptures well. And he says, you guys should have known this. There's no excuse here. But if you go back to verse 17, he says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. After Peter pokes him in the eye and kicks him in the chest a little bit, he softens his rhetoric here. It may not sound like it to you, but in the Old Testament, they understood sins to be uh, willful based on knowledge of God's law and also sin that was not willful but based upon ignorance. Now, we say in, in our judicial system that ignorance of the law is no excuse. It's same, same thing when it comes to God's law. Ignorance of God's law is, is no excuse. It may mean that the consequences are different than the person who knowingly and willfully disobeys God. But he, he refers to them as ignorant. I, I'm a little perplexed on that because he just got done telling them, you should have known this. You know the Scriptures well, men of Israel. You, you knew the Old Testament prophecies, but somehow you missed it. Ignorance is when you don't know what you don't know. And it's possible that some of us here today don't know what we don't know because we've heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend that the Bible is just full of fantasy and myth and fables. No, it's not. It's not. It's not Little Red Riding Hood. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's proof in the facts of history and the facts of the gospel. And there's more proof in fulfilled prophecy. This Bible is about real people in real places in real time in real history. But you can continue in your ignorance if you're not careful, not knowing what you don't know. It doesn't absolve guilt before a holy God. We just need to understand that. And he is calling, Peter is, he's calling his brothers and sisters, these men of Israel and their families, to repentance. He says in verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Peter's reference here to the times of ignorance remind me of what the Apostle Paul said later in the book of Acts, chapter 17, when he made his way to Athens, that city of, of great uh, Greek wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And he says to them, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent to repent. Reminds me of what Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think the scariest place to be is you don't know what you don't know. Maybe because you've never done the research yourself and you've heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another liberal friend who has an agenda to try to undermine the gospel Study it for yourself, friends. Study it for yourself. We're here 2,000 years later because the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. And if it didn't happen, smart people 2,000 years ago would have discredited it then. But here we are. And so what's our response to all this? Well, Peter calls them 
to repentance, not to a social gospel. He uses the healing of this poor, lame beggar. Well, God uses it to create a platform for the preaching of his word and the calling of people to the cross of Christ to repent, to turn from their wicked ways and to receive the forgiveness of their sins, the blotting out of their sins. Friends, that's why the gospel's good news, because you're not defined by your past. Your failures are not fatal. They were taken care of at the cross of Christ. And then the penalty for our sin was, was paid for in full. That's the reason we can dance and leap and praise God and go into the presence of God just like this lame beggar did with great confidence that we are children of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good Radio message, The Beautiful Miracle. Ron, in many ways, the book of Acts is about the people of God persevering through adverse circumstances and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ even during times of persecution or hardships. As we continue to navigate our way through some of the fallout from last year's pandemic, what would you say to those listening as a means of encouragement? You know, Brian, even now we still don't know exactly where we're going to land after all of this. We seem to have gotten a handle on the virus itself, but even now there remains at least some degree of economic uncertainty, both for the nation in general and for millions of people who have either lost their jobs or been out of work for an extended period. It breaks my heart to see people struggling to provide for their families. It grieves me to see people losing their hope or to see them getting sick or, or even dying. And all of us here at Something Good Radio are praying for those who have been or continue to be affected by the circumstances of the past, well, 15 months or so. It has affected all of us in one way or another. Obviously, some more than others, but all of us some. But let me encourage everyone by simply pointing out what the early church showed us some 2,000 years ago. It is in times when Jesus is all we have that we often realize, some maybe for the first time, that Jesus is really all we need. Because the greatest threat to anyone out there, to all of us, is uh, not un economic uncertainty or even the physical uncertainty of sickness, disease, and death. The greatest threat is dying without knowing Jesus Christ, even if that death occurs 50 years from now. Because, Brian, that is permanent. It's eternal. He is the only cure for what truly ails us. Uh, that is the eternal penalty of sin. He is where our true hope lies, where true joy lies. And by grace through faith in Christ, we have the absolute certainty of spending eternity with him no matter how much uncertainty exists in the meantime. So let me just encourage everyone listening to use this period in history to persevere in the sharing of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. People have always been more open to the gospel in times of crisis. So now could very well be one of the best opportunities we'll have to lead people to faith in Christ. Thanks so much for those encouraging words, Ron. It's times like these when we need to hear them most. Well, Ron, as we wrap up this edition of Something Good Radio, tell us where you're headed tomorrow as you continue your teaching series, A.D., Acts of the Apostles. Brian, the one thing I'd like to emphasize from today's message is this whole idea of faith versus science. Now, it's true we are saved by grace and through faith, and there is no doubt about that. 
But God has provided reams and reams of evidence for his existence, as well as proof that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. So what I'm saying is this, it doesn't take nearly as much faith to believe in Jesus as some may expect. If you're having doubts, I pray you'll look into it for yourself. And you can also contact us right here at somethinggoodradio.org and we'll do what we can to answer any question you have. As for tomorrow, Brian, I'll just leave you with a question. What is the greatest threat to the Christian faith? I'd like you to think about that sometime today in preparation for tomorrow's message because I'll share what I believe to be the answer right here on our next edition of Something Good Radio. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, Holy Hotspot. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.